Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to a new episode of CRISPR Cuts. Today, our guest is TJ Craddock, Chief Scientific Officer at Exigen Bio. TJ has had years of experience in the genome editing industry that we'll soon learn about in this episode. Yeah, that's really exciting. And Excision Bio recently had their therapy for HIV proceed into clinical trials. So that's going to be an exciting topic that we're going to cover in today's episode, as well as some other viruses that they're working on developing therapies for. So let's get into it. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts, TJ. We are super excited to talk to you about your work and all the great things going on at Excision Bio today. But before we even get into that, I want to kind of talk about how you became a scientist. So did you always know as a child you want to get into science or was there any memorable anecdote that really was a path changer for you? I was someone who was always interested in math and science. And certainly by high school, I was interested in becoming a biomedical engineer. I think even on my application to MIT, I, I wrote about it. So I, I've been on this arc for a bit. And the mechanical engineering part, after college didn't really work on too much, but always was in, interested in the technology of science or, or how we can do different scientific experiments or how, how, to, how to move things along. And I was faculty in, in the BME, the biomedical engineering department at tech for four years. And so there got to actually use a little bit and occasionally uh, give lectures in, in the mechanical engineering department. Where in some instances, I remember some people uh, saying, "Well, can you can you explain a little bit more of the engineering about CRISPR-Cas?" Is oh, okay. Well, I'll change up a little bit and and then put back on that hat. But to answer your question, I, I have been interested in science since uh, a fairly early age, but it wasn't precipitated by a very particular instance. Maybe we can turn to the journey you've taken, like more recently. So in your career, if you could tell us a little bit more about the path you've taken to get into your current role as the chief scientific officer at Excision Bio, what led you into what you're um, currently doing now? Certainly, my second job after college was at Replogen, where we were working on characterizing monoclonal antibodies against HIV. From there, I went to UCSF, where again I was looking at HIV, but trying to derive proteolytic antibodies to target the virus. My entry into th this particular field was at Sangamo Biosciences, or it was called Biosciences at the time, where I was in the zinc finger design and selection group. As zinc finger nucleases came along, we began to work on, on those more. And that's something I followed up at the University of Iowa, where we were part of the group that had the first proof of concept and publication using uh, zinc finger nucleases or any nuclease to target a virus. And so our project there was designing zinc finger nucleases that specifically cleave hepatitis B virus. There we also developed a bioinformatic tool called ZFN site, uh, which allowed searching genomes to nominate possible zinc finger nuclease cleavage sites. Later, I was at Georgia Tech faculty working on zinc finger nucleases, tal effector nucleases, and CRISPR-Cas. Again, we were often making bioinformatic tools and assays to look at specificity. At Georgia Tech, we were co-authors in two of the first papers looking at, at CRISPR specificity. At Tech, we were uh, working with CRISPR Therapeutics on a sponsored research agreement that led to the 
uh, the company's hemoglobinopathies program that's now in clinical trials. So from Georgia Tech, I joined CRISPR as the second full-time U.S. employee and the head of genome editing. And so it was there uh, four and three quarters years. Uh, Along the way, a friend at Artist Ventures introduced me to the excision team. And so I was excited to uh, go back and start targeting virus again. Expand a little bit on that now. So tell us a little bit more, if you if you can, about your role at Excision Bio, kind of the project you oversee. We'll get into the, the, the clinical trials in a second, but if you could speak maybe more, more generally about the work you and your team are focusing on there at Excision. Yeah, certainly as the chief scientific officer at a small company, we wear a lot of hats, right? We, we have a lot of exciting things that, that we're continuing to, to move forward on. In terms of the projects, uh, in addition to HIV, working on HSV, uh, hepatitis B virus again, JC virus, and, and so working with virologists, bioinformaticians, and the gene editing team as, as we develop those strategies. Uh, we're also working on projects to improve our ability to use multiple guides to exec- effectively excise viral DNA. And I think this technology is a very exciting part about that. And these projects include using different nucleases and improving different ways to move forward. And again, these are coordinated with the bioinformatics team. We are also actively developing new technologies and assays to move these projects forward. And then, as you mentioned, we've we've got clinical trial for EBT 101. And so some of the projects on which I'm working progress and move forward on that clinical trial. Speaking of the EBT 101 clinical trial, could you talk more about that? Because that's like every company or researcher who's working on a therapy hopes that it will someday get into trials and and yours recently did. So first of all, congrats on that. And we would love to hear more about what this uh, therapy is all about. Sure. I I think it's it's very exciting that we're now initiating enrollment for this landmark first-in-human phase one, two trial of EBT. And it's a potentially functional cure for HIV infection. And so this is the first trial directly employing CRISPR as a potential curative regimen for a latent viral infection. I think that there's certainly growing interest in CRISPR. And of late, where people are very interested in these kind of technologies, particularly to go after virus. And so, as mentioned, this is a phase one and two study. And we're looking at enrolling nine subjects with, with HIV infection, evaluating safety, biodistribution, tolerability with a single treatment of EBT-101. And then after 48 weeks, uh, all patients will be enrolled into a long-term follow-up protocol. That's amazing. How long has this project been underway? And then also on the flip side of timelines, how many years do you envision, even with the second phase of trials, how, how long would it take before we can, assuming like everything goes well, that this trial turns into a, an actual available therapy for everyone? So I'll answer the first question. The company was founded in 2015. And so this technology has been brewing within the company for, for quite a while. There are a number of publications from the, the collaborators at Temple, the Gahili Lab, and a, a range of others demonstrating that this concept of using multiple guides to target virus. And, and, and I think that that's an exciting part as we continue to put forth in, in peer review publications, this strategy. The work has continued of late. And, and so I think that although it was a little bit under the radar for a while, that you know, with it, this, this has been a process in place. And so I think the, the answer, of course, is that in the trial, we're, we're initially looking, of course, for safety and tolerability, but there's the potential that, that we could see in a short course, depending how the patients progress, 
we are excited to to move into the trial to take a look and, and see how this progresses. Can you tell us a little bit more? I was wondering, I'm curious about what what about the biology of HIV that kind of lends itself to being targeted by CRISPR as a curative therapy. One interesting fact that gets mentioned in some of the seminars I've given over the last eight years is that certainly CRISPR had a life before gene editing. And CRISPR systems and the accompanying Cas enzymes, of course, evolved as an antiviral defense mechanism in bacteria. Therefore, it seems fitting that we are coming full, full circle, applying this natural antiviral system uh, against human viral infections, including HIV. One of the slides I have shows this all, all the bacteriophage on the surface of a of a bacteria, and similarly, a bunch of uh, HIV virus uh, on the surface of, of a cell, but of course, we're, we're targeting them within the cell. And so to get more to the point, one of the key things is that we can come in with multiple guides fairly readily with CRISPR. And so one of the things that we've demonstrated is the efficacy of targeting using multiple guides. And one can think about it is that we've got multiple shots on goal. There's a chance to, to cut each of the three target sites and, and that allows an excision of 1,000 or 8,000 or from LTR to LTR, 9,000 nucleotides. And so that is, is really, I think, an exciting part about this is that removal of, of these large segments of the HIV genome uh, allow us in this single treatment to inactivate the virus and uh, prevent the chance of viral escape. You kind of touched on this already, but th- thinking about moving forward in the clinical trials, what kind of patients do you think would, would qualify to, to be treated with this therapy? Is it like anyone with that's HIV positive or is it like a subset um, that, that it would be really geared for? There are eligibility requirements, although they're, they're fairly broad. One of the principal ones is that they have to be on sustained antiviral therapy before initiating it. And so we're, we're excited that seems to be a, a large number of, of patients will be, will be eligible to enroll. One thing I'm curious about is you mentioned this is one of the first therapies kind of using CRISPR. Obviously, it often happens that when you describe the method, it seems like, oh, that sounds like it sounds very interesting. And why wasn't it obvious to others or why haven't others done this before? Right. So in terms of the uniqueness of like this therapy, could you speak to whether it's the technology aspect or just like your approach? Like what are the unique aspects of this therapy and Basically, what, what has deterred others from kind of doing this before? Well, certainly, there. I guess everything seems as it's an exciting path forward once you're, you're showing success. And certainly, in, in past lives, we, we targeted virus with zinc fingers and tailings. But in those cases, generally used one pair, allowing a single cut site. So I think one of the things that is unique is this ability to come in and, in the case of HIV, have two guides which allow three cut sites. And so as described a few minutes ago, that, that is one of the unique elements about it. I think the part that is also unique is that we've, we've gone into non-human primates and within the humanized mice. And so there's a number of different examples and experiments that we've done to prepare this, to move towards the clinic. And you, you touched on um, some other viruses that are kind of on, on your radar and you and your team are, are, are working on it, like hepatitis B virus, HSV. Are you developing also some therapeutic strategies for these as well? If you can maybe talk a little bit more about what's coming next and maybe just things about other viruses that make them good candidates to be targeted by CRISPR to also develop cures. Yeah, certainly the projects are underway where we're co-developing projects against each of these. And I, I think one of the key things is that 
excision is, is all in on, on targeting virus and infectious diseases. And so one of the things that is great about uh, having kind of a unified approach is that the strategies that are we're using and, and the assays and, and the way forward for HIV will, will help in our projects towards these other viruses. And so I think that the key part, of course, is that we're, we're going after the DNA uh, as a step or integrated virus. Uh, and I think that's a, a part that differentiates possibly from, from some other targets. And I think that certainly from this clinical trial, we'll learn a lot that helps uh, on these other viral targets. Uh, meanwhile, of course, we're, as mentioned, developing technologies and, and developing uh, strategies and nucleases and way forward. And so I think as, as we get more insight from these, there certainly will be other virus downstream that uh, will further target. Just like to kind of follow up there, like how much does the cell type that the virus is, is latent in um, matter for, for like HSV, for example, it's in the neurons. Is it difficult to deliver CRISPR-Cas9 components to, to certain cells or are some cells easier than others? No, it's a good question. And I think that the virus are a bit different in, in where they're located in the body. And obviously we want to ensure that we'll target the viral stores. One of the questions we also get asked is, are you specifically targeting only the cells with virus? And I think that's one of the things, and one of the reasons it's exciting that we have seen the, the lack of, of off-target cleavage in, in these cells. And the fact that when we go into cells without HIV, there isn't a target. Or if we've removed the HIV, then the cells lack the target. And I think that that's a critical aspect. But in terms of the, getting the cells that have the virus, is one of the reasons we've done the non-human primate studies to look at the biodistribution for the AAV. For other virus, such as HPV, we have a range of different delivery options. And so we, we are evaluating different ways of getting into the cells that are relevant for these uh, future viral targets. This really sounds super exciting. And I am very excited about your HIV therapy and also any of these upcoming ones. But if I were to put my non-scientist hat on, right, like the public is seeing a lot of growth in gene therapies and cell therapies, which are possibly going to be available in a few years. But at the same time, historically, there has been like a bubble, then some setbacks in terms of gene therapies. So do you have a pulse on how accepting are people right now about these therapies? And then secondly, what kind of assurances can companies are uh, providing to kind of just help people better understand the safety of these therapies? Uh, I'll break those into two questions. One is that we've certainly had a very enthusiastic response. I believe that people are really excited to, to have the virus removed, uh, even if there are some, some treatments that they're currently available. And I think that that's what we're, we're seeing when we're setting up centers is that they're, they're getting a positive response. The second question in terms of allowing people to, to understand it, I, I think that's one of the reasons, as I mentioned, we're excited about publishing, presenting at conferences, and putting into peer review what we're putting forth so that everyone can see, let's say, the safety package or, or see the non-human primate data and understand what we've done so that they have questions, they can pull those resources. And when we've uh, shown this information or gone to patient advocacy groups, they are a, a very excited group that have pulled the papers, they, they looked at the supplemental figures. And so it, it is an exciting audience to share our progress because they are very excited about it. Yeah, convince people using data, you know, spoken like a true scientist. <laughs> a great approach. 
So um, yeah, so we'll in a second, we'll, we'll kind of get your thoughts on what the future holds. But before we, we do, I was just wondering if you could kind of give any sort of estimated timelines on when you might have sort of some data to report on the EBT 101 trials. Like when, when are you expecting anything? Um, I, I know it's early days and we're, we're still celebrating the, the announcement that you're, you're getting started, but can't help but wonder like when, when are we going to know how things are going? Well, certainly one of the key readouts is safety, and we'll certainly see that once once the patients are, are coming in, and, and we hope that certainly there'll be no adverse events, and, and that's one of the reasons, as mentioned earlier, we, we've done a good bit of safety studies, hoping that those, those will be mirrored when we see the patients. The availability of data, I guess, is one of the questions that we're parentally asked, so that's probably one of the ones that I'll probably shy away from giving a definitive date, but I think one of the things that is a bit different with this type of technology is that you've got the opportunity to, to see readouts fairly quickly. And so that I think is one of the exciting aspects about this. Yeah, totally understand. It's hard to predict the future, right? but we're, we're excited to hear how things go and we'll, we'll definitely be following closely. And hopefully we can have you back to talk about that when the time is right. Thinking about like the future, you're kind of in a unique spot like among the world really in that you've seen the development of previous nucleases, you've, you've seen things from the beginning to where they are now. So maybe just take a few minutes or just briefly expand on how you think CRISPR is basically changing medicine, like for HIV in particular, but other infectious diseases. And how, how do you see, how do you perceive the future potential that CRISPR has in our everyday medical treatment at some point down the road? Oh, certainly. And uh, as you mentioned, I had a background in zinc fingers and published on talons and such. And so there's certainly examples of well-engineered zinc finger nucleases, talons, and a role for these gene editing tools and therapeutics, plant editing, research, and a range of applications. But I think with the advent of, of, of CRISPR, we've seen just a huge increase in the number of labs working on uh, developing new nucleases, developing new strategies, coming up with ways to increase homology director repair, ways of delivery. And I think that's what's really exciting. And if you say, you know, where can we look at the future? One can look at the number of labs that are now working on gene editing and gene editing, delivery, assays, bioinformatics, and aspects that will, that will speed future therapies to the clinic, but also allow us to go after different indications, different virus for us. And I think that's, what, that's what's really exciting is that as the tide uh, rises, it lifts many boats. And so continue to be very excited when I hear about my friends and former colleagues at uh, the companies that are working on this, because a lot of that really are things that we can take advantage of and technologies that uh, we can use to move our projects forward. So I think it, it's hard to really even look too far in the future because every, every week there are more CRISPR papers where people have improved upon previous technologies. And I think everything that we're seeing improves efficacy, specificity, uh, delivery, and I think it's, it's just certainly very exciting. As mentioned, I uh, was up late going through the abstracts that I was scoring for our section. And you know, that's always a, a reminder about how, how the field is advancing. The future is extremely bright. Like there's a lot of every day, there's new, new and interesting findings coming out. For you and Excision Bio, is there, if you, if you have to single out any one thing that you're currently excited about for the future, is there anything that comes to, that comes to the front of your mind? Like the next big thing that you're that really is um, exciting and motivating to you? Well, I think it, it's it's really exciting that we're we're expanding our, our research efforts. We're we're building the team even further. 
we have more people that are excited to jump in, hired someone just today, uh, 30 minutes ago. The fact that we're getting more opportunities as that happens to do all the things I described earlier, develop the technology, uh, move each of the uh, viral targeting programs forward. And I think one of the aspects that I'm enjoying is that we're, we're a very collaborative company, so we can hope to expand our sponsored research projects and collaborations with industry colleagues. And so I think that's a part that I, I'm excited about is as we're going into the clinic here, we're, we're going to continue to to move forward on each of these other projects. Yeah, no, it's definitely a great time to be in CRISPR. And I mean, clearly our scientific career has worked out amazing. So it's even ridiculous to probably think of it. But if you were not a scientist, is there a different profession that you had ever considered or can imagine being? Yeah, I think that that's a tough question. You know, the question is, it would have to be, you know, would it have to be something completely divergent? As I mentioned, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a pass as looking at the engineering, but if I had to go outside of science and engineering, that might be a tougher thing to look at. So I, I'm not sure exactly. I, I mean, I've had that question before and kind of gave some, some kind of uh, comedic answers, but I, I'm not sure exactly what that would be. It's basically, you cannot imagine being anything as a scientist, which is still, it's definitely understandable. And just given how dedicated you are to your projects and work, it totally makes sense as well. Well, I think the, the thing, the story that I've often shared is in past lives, we talked about developing therapeutics and spending uh, years in SAR or, or tweaking small molecules. And, and the fact that one can come from inception to the clinical trial application in a handful of years is really such an amazing aspect. Uh, you're still at the company when, when patients are being dosed. And, and that's just an amazing aspect of our, of our current gene editing technologies. So I, I think it would be hard pressed to, to think outside the box a little bit uh, in that regard when we're, we're really moving these things very effectively forward. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand. I think it's the satisfaction that you get of like, you know, your work actually has an impact and just knowing now that the number of years to get that has reduced, it, it's just amazing to think that something that you were researching a few years ago is, as you said, now being dosed into patients. So it's, it's definitely an exciting time. And we are definitely looking forward to not just your HIV trial results, but all of the amazing work you'll continue doing in the next few years. Oh, well, thank you. I've had fun chatting. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. All right. Well, I appreciate it. As Kevin, as you were saying, hopefully we'll, we'll have a follow-up soon with uh, announcing some of, some of the clinical data. Definitely. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking about viruses and CRISPR, so this was, uh, this was a great, very interesting conversation um, to me. And we, we look forward to having you back and extending the conversation further. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthego blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.